Hello? Wake up and smell the calamity! TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Easter weekend to you, everyone. This is Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are joined of a Friday once again by bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you, Benny? Hi, doing very well. I'm ready to hop into the weekend with y'all. It's going to be an amazing Easter weekend. And great news out the gate. Tom Brady's ball has been voided. Because I knew knew you were excited to know about it. The ball itself has been voided with the uh, the auction house where they were selling it. The both buyer and seller have agreed to void the transaction, so the seller is saving five hundred and eighteen thousand dollars. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, there, mm. was there any when they voided it? Was there any mention of the ball being underinflated? Hey! Oh wow! <laughs> right out the gate. Hey! <laughs> I'm sure you have many more opportunities to handle that. <laughs> and uh, today's also a filing day for many people. Yes, it is. Mm. For anyone who is last minute, today's the day. Get it to the post office, April 15th, tax day. I thought they pushed it to the 18th. Well, if they did, I'm not aware. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to double check either, that. But I'll, but I'll tell you this much. We, we filed early. When it comes to, uh, which thanks to Suzanne, who's got a, a accountancy gene somewhere which works definitely in our favor what happens typically and this was true in seattle as before when i lived for five years in las vegas before that i grew up in southern california the 15th the 18th whatever that day is you will have news coverage with a reporter standing by as people (laughs) form a snake line to the post office to get it in before the deadline. Before midnight, post yeah. office stays open late so they can welcome people. So it is the 18th officially, so you have the weekend to knock it out if you need oh. to. And um, that was actually one of my first uh, radio promotion gigs here at the group uh, 15, well, more like 16 years ago. I went downtown Seattle, stood outside the you know postal service, and was helping uh-huh. people hand in, or they were handing out their taxes, <laughs> and I would help them put it in the the slots because slot. yeah, and we gave yeah. them some little swag back, so it was good times. So I had people handing me stuff through their sunroofs because they were just trying to get it in before the you know the five o'clock yep. or six o'clock deadline. So good times. Oh, oh right. I love that. I wish yeah. I had the foresight to treat people's personal crises as a promotional opportunity. <laughs> totally. <laughs> they got free chapstick out of it. It was a good. Oh, it was a great day. It was a great good. day. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that update and correction, Benny. Always glad to have you with us. Today, we're going to have visit number two. from a Visit dis- number two. Yep. This, uh, this book has meant a lot to us. It's called The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Super Consciousness. And super consciousness can be defined best by the author, but you know, the, the levels and the layers of mind when they're working in harmony can achieve seeming miracles. They also can work to heal the human mind and the human body. And that is the essence, but hardly exhausts the meaning of the way of miracles. The author, Mark D. Mincola, PhD. Mark is back with us for a second time. We, we only scratched the surface. And we told him so. Yeah. So he's back so we with got, us we today. Got to, we got to talk more about your book. And we finally got him back again. 
And so let me tell you about Mark Mincola, PhD, is a nutritional therapist, author of multiple best-selling books, executive producer, and quantum energy healer who has transformed the lives of more than 60,000 patients over the last 35 years. Through his innovative genius, Dr. Mincola has integrated ancient Chinese energy healing techniques with cutting-edge nutritional science in what he calls electromagnetic muscle testing, a one-of-a-kind approach that identifies each individual's unique needs. We will be sure to give out his websites before the close, but just to give you a hint, he's got two, thewayofmiracles.com and markmincola.com. Welcome to Manson Mitchell for the second time, Mark Mincola. We have questions for you. Suzanne and Gary, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So where do you, where do you want to start? Soft opening to an interview. Mark, tell us about the reception. What's the feedback you're getting on this wonderful book of yours? Well, the book and the film are both absolutely exploding right now. We, we, have, we were fortunate enough to get an offer from um, Gaia to, to distribute the film. And what's happening is we're getting we're in 158 countries now. So the film and the book are spreading around the world. And they're, they're in several languages. So things are starting to pick up for us. We've been deluged over the past six weeks or so from people wow. that are from South America, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Africa. We're getting we're getting people from all over the world that are just really buzzed up on the book big time. They're really excited about it. And, and the film, the, the film is actually right now. The film is actually exploding and it's it's selling the book. Fantastic. Why don't you well, tell you could, us more about the film itself? Well, right. we're into the book, but yeah, what about this? Didn't film? know about the film. Well, the film the film is similar to the book. I mean, it's the same title, The Way of Miracles, and it's it's slightly differently arranged. It's like it begins with with my experience that I went through, I went through an interesting experience and I had to go through a recovery period and a miracle period. So the book begins, the book begins in a way that the film takes more time to develop and and sort of ease into the book talks about my experience. The the film works its way into that. So the film is um, about seven other patients that had miracle experiences, brain tumors that, that cleared up in five months. Um, One woman who is, who was um, told by the folks at Mass General Hospital that there's no way she could ever have give birth, that she was inf- infertile, and they, they just had to go home and just make their peace with the fact that they'd never be parents. That's just the way it is. So she came to see me in a last-ditch effort. Long story short, she's got three daughters right now. So she's got three kids, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to see in the film, you know, to see the mother and father and how excited and how enthusiastic they are and how loving they are and how excited they are to have a whole family finally and for the, for the first time in their life it's a great experience and there's a gentleman who had parkinson's who's who's jogging three miles a day so we had some really remarkable uh, stories told by some special people so the, the film is all about great stories with great storytellers and and the miracles are actually profound i mean it, it, people are they're crying they're i'm getting all kinds of tears and excitement and joy and laughter and the emotional expanse from the film is just totally amazing it's incredible people are just loving the film and, and again it's taken them to the, to the book and, the, and they're loving the book so but it's a great experience it's, it's a blast we're gonna dive deep into the book today we talked um, about some of it last summer and gary and i were reviewing the book and we kind of zeroed in on a couple of things that we really wanted to go into today 
which we think will be very useful and interesting for our listeners. And we thought maybe we would just start with a story before we get into too much um, detail. I thought a good place to start would just be for you to tell the story about a man who came to see you that told you that he can't eat any spicy foods, even if he thinks about spicy foods, he gets a rash. And when he told you that, what did you tell him? I I said, I want to see it. I said, let's talk, let's talk about your condition. And this man, as you pointed out, explained to me that he had a problem with a very severe skin rash that only came about when, when he either ate spicy food like cayenne pepper or, or he thought about it. I said, so wait a minute, you, you can think about cayenne pepper, you can think about spicy food, and you can break out in a rash? I said, absolutely. So I asked him to show me. So we sat in the office together a few minutes, and I had him close his eyes. And I actually had him think about cayenne pepper, about spicy food, hot spicy food. And within about three minutes, his, 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 his face started to, to turn bright red. He had a rash all over his whole body. His entire body was, was broke out in a rash within three to four minutes. And then, and then I actually had him rework that. I said, now, before we, before we finish, I want you to actually picture yourself in a snowbank and picture yourself rolling around in that snowbank, cooling your body down. And in three minutes, the rash went away. So I took it in the other direction. I said, look, if, if you're that, and there's a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. The anterior cingulate cortex is a part of the brain that actually produces a neurological function, a neurological setting that actually is identical to reality. So in other words, if you, you envision something in imagination form, it produces the same neurological chemistry as if, you, as if you're really doing it. So they, they did studies at Harvard. They found that people who played certain piano pieces uh, produced a neurological format and neuro- neurological s- s- synapse. And, and then what they did is they actually retested them when they were just imagining playing it. And they took people who couldn't never play the piano in their life, but they imagined themselves playing the same piece that the, the real musicians played earlier. They produced the same exact chemistry, no change. So the brain basically has a section in the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. And that part of the brain produces physiological changes that are identical to, to factual reality that you take place in, in that takes place in your day-to-day life. So you're imagining it, you're producing the same thing. So this gentleman that we we're talking about met me in my office unequivocally it was displaying a function of the anterior cingulate cortex in, in point of fact. So he imagines himself eating spicy food, he breaks out in a rash. He imagines himself rolling in a snowbank three minutes later and the rash goes away. So, I mean, that's the power of the mind. That's the power of the ability to the conscious mind and the unconscious mind to produce circumstances, events, results that are, that are truly remarkable in the, in the world of imagination. So they can make imagine, they bring imagination into the world of reality is what they do. That, that, that section of the brain is remarkable. That's a great story, great, great experience. We have talked about this before with other people, and it is such a critical point. This is how many athletes will develop their athletic skill is they will be playing basketball, shooting hoops, playing golf, doing the things that they would do in the the 3D material world, but they do it in their minds, imagining the success that they're having 
And then that translates when they're back onto the field, back into the, on the course or uh, on the basketball court. And it, this was such a great demonstration because here was a man who had a real problem with the spicy food, but the fact that he could just imagine it and get that reaction. And I'm saying to Gary, and I'm, you know, how many times do we imagine the worst and we bring it about? And how can we use that imagination like a star athlete to imagine the best and bring that out. And so the fact that you had witnessed both the onset of the rash and then the rash going away in a very brief time, that that's a very practical experience. You can tell people all you want, how important their imagination is, but you actually saw it in action. And I think that was very, very powerful. There are also some really remarkable studies, amazing studies about something called expectancy. So expectancy is actually an attitude, it's a mentality, it's a state of mind. You expect to see something happening. You expect it and it happens. And we actually produce chemistry that supports and it loads up the interior cingulate cortex that we talked about a minute ago through expectancy. So they've proven that expectancy changes your neurological chemistry. So the power of expectancy is equal to the power of imagination, no question about it. I'm curious to know how that would be the case. I'm not doubting you. I, I find that wonderful to contemplate. It should help shape our behavior as individual humans. What would be the basis, as far as your research indicates, Mark, for the case that there are biochemical reactions attendant to what amounts to a self-fulfilling prophecy? It's amazing to me that there would be these biological concomitants to something that most people would say is all in your head, and it's all about the ideas you carry. Well, one of the things you want to think about, when you say it's all in your head, anything that's in your head is in your body. Anything that's in your body is in the universe. I mean, it's like everything's energy. Everything's energy. So I think we, we because we, we tend to come from a material background, we tend to think of the world as being... 99% material, and it's not. The world is 99% immaterial, 99% energy, and only 0.1% matter. So the fact, the fact is that we actually produce energies all day long, and we, and we, we take part in energetic dispersions of, of, of life force that actually alter our, our attitudes, our, our spirits, our mind, our body, change our chemistry, change our brain function. So everything is interrelated. Everything is, is unified. There's, 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 separation is an illusion, you know, when it comes to energy. Energy is all clear, clearly about the fact that everything is inter, interrelated. And, and so I think when you, when you talk about these, these episodes, people think about certain things. They produce a physiological effect from, from thought, from words, from concepts. I mean, Dr. Richard Davidson from the University of Wisconsin did a lot of neuroplasticity studies, remarkable neuroplasticity. The neuroplasticity is about the idea that the brain expects change. It, 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 it loves change. It, it's built for change. It's made for change. It likes it. So the idea that you have a brain that's functioning in a certain direction and it wants to grow and expand and, and be different than it was yesterday, and it plays to that fact. So I think neuroplasticity, the, the work that he's done, is remarkable at explaining the fact that people who program their mind with words, words alone, they found interesting studies, interesting results in their studies about, about words and the energy of words. 
they found that words that were positive had a positive effect. Words that were positive that were confusing had a more positive effect. So for people to say something like, I, I'm, I feel great, I'm wonderful, my life is super. Somebody's gonna, the neurological stuff is gonna, is gonna be favorable. But if somebody says, I am, I'm a genius, which is, you know, who says it, who, who's ever thought of themselves as a genius? Not many people think that. Or, or ever I can name that. one. <laughs> and a very stable one at that. That's great. Never mind, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, please continue. So, so were... to, to, say, to say, to use positive words that are confusing to the, to the brain actually makes it more receptive because it, it, it's like they say when you're working out at a gym physically, lifting weights and stuff like that. You need to challenge the muscles. You need to confuse the muscles. When you confuse them, they, they, they pay closer attention. They're drawn into more of a sympathetic response as opposed to parasympathetic. So you become more alerted. You become more, more able to make change, more able to, to certify that change. And I think that, that, again, the expectancy factor is really huge here. You know, you're thinking about something positive, something powerful that's confusing. You, you, and you entice yourself into it neurologically. And you're gonna, that's how change is made. One of the things that you talk about, and I'm kind of going a little bit back a couple of steps, I wanted you to start with that story, first of all, about the man with the rash. But in reading your book, The Way of Miracles, one of the things that you talk about in one of the chapters, it's perfectly logical when you read it. And yet, I was was saying, um, yeah, of course. Uh, it makes it makes perfect sense. And that is what is the perfect state of healthy being. And you you say that it's really about the balance that we get out of balance. And you talk about um, inflammation and degeneration, and you make a very good distinction about what is related to what. And so I wanted you to say a little bit about that because people who are listening have various health challenges. Some of their health challenges might be, you know, arthritis, they might be Crohn's disease, they might be, um, you know, migraine headaches, something like that. What is the distinction that you make about when we are not balanced what 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 state are we in what what are the two different states that 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 we're in if we're not in balance well i first of all want to bring up the point that for me everything is energetic it starts as i said earlier everything's energy so the system of medicine the system of healing that i put together that i developed years ago is is healing based that is that it's healing based at an energetic level not at a, not at a material level so i think by correcting the, the energetic properties you eventually work peripherally at the outer levels so it's like the stone that ripples from the inside out you work with your inner work in the inner core energies and the physical body comes around but i think that when you think about energy uh, the concept of energy says that there's there's three options when it comes to energy of disease you, you can have disease versus wellness i think you can have number one you can have too much energy you can have not enough energy and you can have a balance of energy those are your three options energy yep. only has three knobs there's only three knobs for energy folks the three yep. nodes are too much, not enough, and balance. So if you have an energy condition that we diagnose at an energetic level that's it's too much, it's inflammatory. Inflammation is representative of too much. Uh, so the idea that, that somebody's inflamed, there's too much 
heat in the body. There's too much um, inflammatory chemistry in the body. There's too much, uh, and inflammation looks looks swollen. It looks it looks hot, red, and swollen. It's not 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 fun stuff. So that, there's there's the excess. Or somebody could be degenerative, like you, you mentioned earlier. The degenerative response is deficient. It's not excess. It's deficient. So there are conditions that are excess, and there are conditions that are deficient. And then obviously the goal is to find your way to the middle to balance. But I think that something like osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, those are those are degenerative conditions. Those 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 don't have enough support. They're lacking energy. And you have inflammation, like I said a minute ago, and that's actually, that's actually excess. That's too much energy. So we need to determine at an energetic level whether we're dealing with too much, not enough, and how we can get to the balance point. That's the key. But at a core level, like you're you're asking a question, a good question at a core level, it breaks down to two things: disease and ease. So disease hyphenated disease is just what it sounds like there's too much stress there's too much imbalance there's too much worry there's too much mental consternation insomnia blah 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 now that's actually representative of disease and disease actually produces um a deficiency you know disease produces deficiencies it wears us out it breaks us down it burns out our parts um, so Ease is something that's, that we consider the opposite of disease. Ease is about peace, balance. Uh, it's about homeostasis is a big word. I think homeostasis is, is the buzzword for, for balance and for, for ease. But ease, just, just like it sounds, ease is, is not inflammatory. Ease is not a, not a stressful scenario. Ease is calm. It's peaceful. It's balanced. It's not impulsive. And it's much easier to, to regulate wellness from the, from the standpoint of ease than it does disease. A question for you. This is the perfect time for me to ask it, and it'll take us to our one and only break at the bottom of the hour. Mark, what do you make of claims on either side of this idea, actually, that uh, according to just about every metaphysical type I've met in the last 20 years, will say that you cannot destroy energy, and they'll quote Einstein, it changes form, but you can't destroy energy. The implication of that I hear from certain skeptics is that we are saying that the volume, which is a universal proposition, the volume of energy can, according to some research, actually be reduced when the conditions are right for it. So what happens to that so-called, I'll put it in quotes, missing energy or reduced energy if, in fact, we can't destroy it? What happens to all that? I think that I think there's two levels. There's two two levels that work here. There's there's a, a core level of energetic reality. So at the core level of energetic reality, there is there is a given there's a given there's a given concentration of energy in the universe. So the universe, like the, the old saying is, if you pull, pluck the molecule out of the universe, the whole universe would collapse. So so the the, the, the core level at the at the um, constitutional level is a good word. Constitutional level, the core of energy in the universe is unchanged. It's the same. It's always the same. It's the, you never add or subtract to it. It can either be created or only transmuted. So the transmutation is possible. But at the superficial level, you have, you have movements, you have changes in manifestation movements that, that come from the core constitutional level of energy that actually can, can alter themselves and can become lesser or, or greater. So I think the movement is, a, is, a, is not, at the, it's not a below the surface. It's a surface, surface level and higher. So energy again has two different positions. It has a core core position and it has a superficial surface positioning. But the constitution of energy remains unchanged, in my opinion. You can't change the constitution of energy. 
you can only change the manifestations that come from the constitutional energy. So that, that which emanates from that core is changeable. The core itself isn't. Yeah, interesting. And I had not heard it explained in that, that way, way, a core yeah. level of energy. Right. Yes. Excellent. Let's go ahead and take our break. We have so much to talk about. There is so much in this book that people can use. You can begin immediately and derive benefit. There's also something to be said, Mark, for taking, seeing how the other half lives is one way I put it casually. This idea that from Eastern philosophy, there are things, there are lessons we can derive from the study of it that become immediately applicable, even in Western civilization, where, as you know, we tend to treat life on a daily basis with a different perspective than what you see in the Eastern part of the world. There, the, the Asian philosophical mindset is distinct from the Western mindset. Maybe we can get into a little bit of that and see how we could have the best of both worlds or both halves of the world, shall we say. Let's go ahead and get into all of that and more when we come back. Mark Mincola is our guest and his wonderful book, which is called The Way of Miracles, should be sufficient encouragement for anyone. It really is a fine book. Hang in there. We'll be gone just a couple of minutes and more of Manson Mitchell right here on AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Mark Mincola back to talk about the way of miracles and the states of consciousness that produce them. On Saturday, Christine Upchurch looks at the transformation of the planet, what is programming and what is truth. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. 
We are talking with uh, Dr. Mark Mincola, author of The Way of Miracles. Uh, Mark, if people would like to um, get your book or maybe look you up on a website, where are some of the places that they can find you in the interwebs? The the easiest hit is go right to Amazon. Amazon will take care of you. Amazon's got the book. Um, All right. You can actually check in with our website for any information you want to get from us. MarkMincola.com. MarkMincola.com. And if you're wondering how Mincola is spelled, it's M-I-N-C-O-L-L-A. M-I-N-C-O-L-L-A. Mark Mincola. You can get this book on Kindle too, right? Yes. In fact, we we just finished the production of um, audio. So it's going to be an audio really soon. Audio and there's a movie. And there's a movie. <laughs> the whole package. That's and great. the movie and the, and the movie and the book are in five languages too. So. Things are moving. I'd like to start this half hour with another story, and the story that we were reading about that really intrigued us from your book had to do with a woman that came to see you who was suffering from acute migraine headaches. And you put this woman under hypnosis. And what was it that you found? Well, the story is about a woman who, um, under hypnosis, actually went, went regressed. Yes, for, for those who don't know, know what regression is, you go into past, past life experiences. Our listeners so into, know this. Yep. So, so she went into past life experience, recall, recall, recall a total recall. And she was actually, she saw herself in the Wild West as a barmaid. She saw herself at the, standing at the bar and between two, two drunken cowboys who actually drew their guns drunkenly and took, just took a random, careless, reckless shot. And the shot went into her head. And she recalled that life experience, that the, the bullet was going into her head and caused a horrible pain before she died. And she actually tuned into the fact that she held on to that pain through more than one lifetime. So she had migraine headaches for two lifetimes after that experience. So what would happen is you, you neutralize the, the memory, so to speak. And by, by neutralizing the memory, you're actually neutralizing the energy that was associated with the pain. And then the headache stopped happening. So you, under hypnosis, you can actually tap into the experience by recalling it, by the, pulling, up the, pulling the details up, and then by taking the time to intentionally separate yourself consciously from the experience and the pain is diminished that way. Past lives, reincarnation, many lives. Okay, if we're going to go down that road, let me ask you this, Mark Mincola. Do you recall the first time in your publicly intellectual life and as an author and researcher and practitioner, do you recall a moment when you said, you know, I don't think I can really deny the reality of reincarnation, regardless of what the skeptics say? Yes, absolutely. I can. Yep, I can. And I feel that um, there's, there's such a distinction, such a difference between my physical being and my spiritual being. You know, that there's an essence. It's kind of like, um, I, I just unfortunately went to a, a wake two days ago for a friend of mine who was nine years old. And she was a great inspiration. She was a great astrologer, an intuitive, a spiritual spiritually wise woman she's a very special woman, remarkable person meant a lot to me but anyway i went to her wake the other morning two mornings ago and to see the physical body in in the in the prone position in the in the box you know it was just such such an incredible thing because i could feel her energy in the room 
it's strange because more than ever, more than ever before, I saw her body in the coffin, but I felt her energy in the room, and I felt her connecting with me, communicating to me, um, and I felt her, the the levity of her of her spirit. I felt the lightness of her spirit, the presence of her spirit, completely palpable, totally palpable. But I think that the idea is that the body is just a vehicle. Is, is anybody who believes in reincarnation is, is aware of you know that the, the body is just a vehicle. And the spirit is actually what animates the, the vehicle of the body. And in her case, the spirit was absent. The body wasn't, wasn't being animated, obviously. That, that's, what, that's, what, that's what death is. But death is also new life. So the, the concept of energy being neither created nor destroyed, only transmuted, comes up again. So, so we are energy. We are clearly energy. And when we're alive, we have that, that vivacious energy it's called the spirit within us that's animating us, directing us. And I think that that expression of animating force is the key to the process of reincarnation, repositioning itself, re reattaining itself, uh, assuming new, new physical manifestations. You know, so the idea that um, we have the we have the spirit to vivify ourselves, and that spirit actually moves around. Like we said, energy in pure energy terms, it can be created, can't be created nor destroyed, only transmuted. And transmutation is what I think reincarnation is all about. We, our spirit transmutes in other forms. Here's something I'd like to read from your book, if you don't mind, just a, a quick paragraph here and ask you about it from page 116. One of the parts of your book that I particularly resonated with was this idea of purpose. And under the uh, heading of purpose, you write, pain makes us feel in a world that has all but forgotten how to feel, feeling anything can feel good. Beyond that, there's a powerful release of energy that comes from the pain that forces us to feel. Many of us are subconsciously attracted to circumstances and people we know will present us with the most painful karmic challenges. Such a perilous attraction can ultimately force us to get in touch with the kind of intense emotion that will empower us to move beyond them. This serves us by making us formidable in the end, or as the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche eloquently wrote, stated, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. And I, I really like that paragraph because I think, generally speaking, people are looking for the, the ease of life, that little frontal lobotomy that will keep them happy all the time. But it seems like when we incarnated, we incarnated to work through challenges. The lady with the migraine headaches, she was in several lifetimes with the migraine headaches until that release of energy. But, but when we're looking for that balance, it isn't as though it would be unrealistic to think we incarnated just to have everything be smooth and nice with rainbows and unicorns, we are attracting those karmic challenges that will help us to expand and grow. And, and I'm going to guess from what you said, become more powerful in our energy by being with or overcoming these challenges. You know, it all, it's all about consciousness. If you enter into your, you wake up in the morning and you enter into your day with a consciousness and awareness that you are, you are, you're, you're going to be confronted with karmic options. You can choose positive, you can choose negative, 
you can experience those things in, in accord with whatever direction you headed, you headed yourself in. That's number one. Number two, there's something called dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. Now, dharma is the opposite of karma. Karma is like when you're, you're, you're learning the tough lessons, you got spiritual lessons to, to, to overcome, to learn, to become wiser spiritually. And as you go through your karmic lessons, you go through pain and suffering because if you don't get it right, you hurt. If you hurt, you motivate yourself to, to get it right the next time. That's what the pain's about. But in terms of dharma, dharma is indicative that you're, you're overcoming the, the negative. You're, you're mastering karma. So by mastering karma, we enter into dharma, which is, which is again, a successful, uh, a successful run through karmic issues. So you, you succeed through your karmic growth. You become more dharmically programmed. And then if you, if you master dharma, then you move into moksha. Moksha is total liberation. So you don't need any of that anymore. You don't need the highs or lows anymore. You're, you're in a neutral zone of, of, of uh, peace surrender and calmness that, that that's kind of where, where moksha is, is the ultimate goal here so we the karma and the dharma is playing itself out you, you're going through the your lessons you're going through your pain and suffering and you start to make the connection with karma you, know, you wake up one day and say hey if i it's, this is a priori this is all a priori philosophy if i do this and this is going to happen if i do this and this is going to happen so you start making choices that that alleviate the pain and suffering you start realizing that that even suffering has its own di- dichotomy you know, the idea that we can actually, by, by mastering our karma, our pain, the pain of our karma, we can actually become more uh, geared toward the idea of, of mastering the process permanently so that we don't need to, we don't need to go there anymore. I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a graduation day for everybody spiritually. And whenever that comes, it comes about as a result of mastering your karma, moving into your dharma, and then ultimately settling into moksha. Is... Um... Is the karmic part being attracted to drama? In, in, yes, in, in a sense, here's the thing. It's kind of like the universe has set up this, this system that is actually, it's, it's, it's got fail-safes. It's got a bunch of fail-safes. And it's designed to make us, to, to give us a certain reality that, that's, that's moksha-based, like I said, success, it's graduation. So everybody, everybody graduates. The, the Buddhists talk about the law of 84. They go through 84 incarnations and then they're done. Graduation day is number 85. So there, there's a place where we end this, end this story of our pain and suffering and our confusion and our bad choices. And, and the, the objective there is to understand that it's, 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 it's learned, it's earned, and it's, it's, it's something that you can actually bank on. It's, it's guaranteed to happen. You know, you you have a lot more say in the matter as to when it happens, but the universe has already given you a, a guarantee on this. This is, a, this is a can't miss situation. You're going to have a graduation day, like it or not. Everybody has one. So if you want to drag it out, if you want to, if you want to drag it out, you can drag it out. But you you don't have to drag it out. You can end it sooner. You can actually move from karma to dharma to moksha, and then you're by your own choice. Gary, not as much fun. <laughs> the, 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 the attract the attract the attraction is the fun. You know, the fun. People don't want to let go of the fun. Uh, you they don't want to miss anything. That is a key observation, Mark, because, and this is one of my favorite subtopics whenever we get into talk of reincarnation, I can look at it from a couple of different angles here and time is permitting. So let me ask you, what do you think would happen? Now we're talking about graduation day. Could there be a so-called graduation day for an entire species and every other species besides, including the ever-loving cockroaches who it is said would survive a nuclear holocaust 
if we have something like that going on, what happens in terms of the soul reincarnation, our position as spiritual beings in a spiritual universe, when the earth, billions of years from now, is a cold, dead rock orbiting a dying star, then what happens to reincarnation? I would think that opportunity at that point has run out. I think there's, there's, there's something people talk about a lot called ascension. ascension. And I think that everybody on the planet, every, everybody in the universe, every, every living being in the universe is going through a process of ascension. And I think every being in the universe, not just, not just meaning creatures like ourselves, but, but planets, stars, everything, everything is going through an ascension process. So I think everything is going through, through change, everything is going through a transformation, everything in the transformative process has, has an ascension to it. So you're moving to a higher level of consciousness. Everything's moving to a higher level of consciousness. And by the way, by the way consciousness isn't something that it's, it's just about us. It's about the, the entire universe. The universe is consciousness. We are consciousness. So the consciousness is the consciousness is the is the um, is the medium by which life exists. So consciousness is going through an ascension process, and everybody's in a different time frame because of their yes. because of their, yes. their choices. But but it's all about ascension. It's, it's it ends with ascension. I've always, and I've put a lot of thought into this over many years, Mark, there are at least a couple of ways to look at the phenomenon of reincarnation as a lesson, and we get lessons anyway, I could have called it a curse or a punishment because of the frailty of human flesh and all of the uh, ills to which humanity is heir, but there is a more westernized view I've discovered. Let me just put it this way, if uh, there's a, a saying, you know, it's, it might be apocryphal, but there's a saying about a man in India that went to see a guru, and he asked, how many more lifetimes is it going to take for me to reach moksha, to reach nirvana, to use the Buddhist term? And the guru told him, you will have 10,000 more lifetimes before you are finished. And the man seeking his counsel, his eyes widened, and he asked, so soon, 10,000 more <laughs> lifetimes. And the man asks, so soon, like I can wrap it up in just another 10,000 lifetimes in the Western world, reincarnation is the door of opportunity and life is knocking. So when you have to lay down this body because it's no longer functional, you go to the spirit world, presumably there, and then you come back to earth. If that's the case, Man, next time I want to be either a great singer, I want to be the next Mickey Mantle, I want to be the next great celebrity chef, all these things that are aspirational in nature. But then someone quickly reminds me it's based on lessons, not on can you make it to the cover of People magazine? Um, I think you're right about that. I think that we have a system in place. It's not, it's not, it's not a personalized system. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a universal system. So the flow of universal energy is going to always follow its natural course, like a river. It's like going to the riverbank and saying, I wish the river flowed the other way. Cause I live back there and I could take, take an inner tube and I can go home quick, quicker that way. It doesn't work that way. You know, the river, the river, the universal river flows the way that it flows. And our job is to actually learn how to contend with the, the requirements for the, for the experience. So we may have to swim against the tide. We may have to get home. We may have to swim against the, the river's flow uh, at times. Other times we have to learn the, the, art, the artful way of going with the river flows. The, the river is going, going in whatever direction the universe is, 
is preset for, so to speak. And I think we just have to contend with the, the response thereafter. One Thank of, you for that. One of the things you write is when confronted with the most important challenging choices, poor decisions activate the power of our karmic gravity. And so I was looking at the free will and the power of our decisions to go one way or another. Gary and I this morning were talking about having tough conversations with people. And I, I said to Gary, it seems like there's two ways you can go with a tough conversation. One is to be honest about your own feelings. This is how I perceive things to be. And so you speak your truth in a way that can really affect the relationship negatively. And I said, and the other way you can go is to let the tough conversation go and take the point of view that in the big picture, this one item is just not that important. And, and so, you know, it's like, what, what are the, what are your choices? So when I was reading about important challenging choices and poor decisions activate karmic activity, I said, there's always like the, 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 uh, the fork in the road and which way are you going to go? Do you go to the, to having a tough conversation or do you go to maybe letting it go and saying it doesn't need to be said. Is this the kind of thing that you're looking at that shapes our karma for this lifetime and other lifetimes? Yes, it is. I think pain is, pain is the key word here. I think that we have a choice between short-term suffering, long-term pain. So I think that short-term pain, long-term suffering, short-term pain is confronting the difficulty that's in front of you karmically, growing through it. I mean, you're experiencing a growing pain, so to speak. That's short-term pain. I, you know, most people say pain, pain's too scary. I don't want to go there. I'd really have a drink. So pain is confronted. And by confronting your pain in the short-term context, you, you put an end to long suffering. So if you don't deal with your short-term pain, you, you're stuck to long suffering. And so your choice is not, not pain or, or freedom. Your, your choice is short-term pain, long-term suffering. By confronting that short-term pain, you put an end to it. You grow beyond it and you expand beyond the possibilities of, of any continued karma in that regard, you move past your karma and again, move into Dharma and, and moksha. So it's pain, short-term pain, long-term suffering. It looked to me like if I'm going to take on the challenge of a difficult conversation that I put the relationship at risk to do so. And so that's why I give myself the out of, well, is is what I have to say that important or can I just put it in a helium balloon and let it go and forget about it? But the other part of that seems to be, to me, is that um, when it comes to difficult conversations, we are not very skilled at it. We haven't really learned through our lives, our education, our parents, our peers, how to communicate effectively without causing a lot of emotional pain. Does that you, make sense? You, it does, it does. But I think if you, if you intentionally dodge the, the, the experience, not because it's, it's devalued, 
but Dodge the experience because of the pain. I don't want to go there. That'll hurt too much. I don't want to rock the boat of the friendship. It could cost me a friend, whatever. By dodging the pain factor, I think you you, you further your, your 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 karma. You further your karmic possibility for pain and, and learning experiences. I think to, to take it on in spite of the pain and to, and to work through it, even though you're not artful at it, not, not great at it, um, you take it on, you do your best with it. And you, you know you took it on, even though it was above you, above your head. Uh, you, you still took on something that, that you over, overcame karmically. And I think you, you, you're to be rewarded by, by moksha for that. So I think that the key is um, not, not dodging the pain. Okay. That's the key. Good. Mark, is there a direct connection between living under the law of karma if we accept that as an established fact, which I happen to do, but that's just my perception. If we are living under karma, how do we account for the physical, the painful physical effects of chronic anxiety? Is there a connection between karma and anxiety as an experience in the body? I mean, sure. I mean, think the nervous system is the medium. So whenever we, whenever we, like if we're dealing with our karma, like we're saying, like, like the example that, that Suzanne just came up with, you know, the idea that you're talking to a friend and you want to confront a friend about a, about a potentially painful issue that could, could be prop, a problem for the friendship, you know, and you're worried about that pain and the, losing the friend or whatever. Um, that, that, can, that can bring about a lot of anxiety. So we're just worrying about your karma. Do I, do I, do I tackle the short-term pain that we said by tackling that, by choosing the short-term pain to overcome your karma? you can actually put a lot of stress on yourself and you can actually become very anxious about that. So anxiety can be the result of neurological re response to, to dealing with short-term pain and to contending with short-term pain. I mean, that, 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 that's scary. That, that's, that's, that breeds a lot of fear and a lot of, a lot of panic, a lot of anxiety, no question about it. We have a little over four minutes left and there's one more paragraph I would like to read and have you comment on. And this is from page 127 mindfulness has become a personal destination for many people are searching for deeper meaning within themselves and in their relationships it's as if we're awakening from a nightmare where everything extrinsic has all but lost its once fundamental meaning nationalism religion love marriage and family have all suffered cultural death blows that in turn has pried open a pathway to explore our connection to source. We have often talked to people, Mark, who say spiritual, not religious. And I, I guess I feel somewhat the same way where I have explored my own spiritual life and it no longer relates to the religion of my birth and, uh, and all other man-made religions this idea of cultural death blows, I, I have said to Gary, it looks like that to me, but is it really the case where we have been um, hammering at our, our cultural fundamentals, where they're, they're actually shifting and changing drastically? What, what is your thought about that? Well, I think that there's there's a there's a transformational period that we're, we're living in right now. I think things are changing in radical ways, in quantum leaps, because this is the time 
that's that's representative of a shift. And I think we're at a tipping point. And I think the tipping point and the shifting and changing that's taking place is taking place microcosmically and macrocosmically. I think it's happening in the universe, happening in the world, happening in each one of us. I think it's micro and macro. It's a total shift right now, total total change, A to Z. And invariably, you're going to lose a lot of your, your, your fundamental boundaries. A lot, of, a lot of your previous boundaries are going to get, they're going to get chewed up. They're going to get spit out. They're going to get released. And they're going to be replaced by, by new, new concepts. I think we're in a phase right now where the old stuff has gotten ground, ground up and thrown out the window. And I think the new stuff is trying to find itself. I don't think it, I don't think it's been time tested. I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been logically put to the test. I don't think that, that it's has, it has a lot of experience and hasn't had a lot of, um, a lot of runtime. But I think that we're, we're in a period right now, very unsettledness. We're, we're trying to find ourselves. We're trying to establish new boundaries, new fundamental concepts that, that, that ground us that we can rely upon. But one thing is for sure, we need the grounding. So whatever, we do, whatever we're putting together, whatever we're, whatever we're rebuilding, whatever we're, we're, we're putting together for our future, so to speak, needs to be centered and grounded because we, we can't function without that groundedness, that centeredness. We just, we just become like amorphous at that point. And, and I think there's a lot of amorphous stuff going on right now in the world. I think the world hasn't figured itself out. And, it, and it's, just, it's just dealing with the, the pure, pure change. That's all. It's just pure change. It's, it's, there's no, no foundation to it, no boundaries to it, no, no, no order, no, no, no margins, no, no order at all. It's, it's just it's a mess right now. But it's supposed to be a mess right now. It's designed to be a mess right now. We have heard this from a couple of people, including um, Barbara Marks Hubbard, who passed away. She said, we're at a crossroads. We can go one way or another, but we're right in the middle of some very profound change. I believe that. And she said it could be the end of humanity. She didn't know. She said, you never um, know. Farewell and adieu. Hopefully not. We're having to wrap it up here, Mark Mincola. Always a joy to have you with us. Let's hope there's a visit number three sometime very soon. Kudos to you on your wonderful book and film, The Way of Miracles. I'm glad that life is treating you so well. Apparently, you treat life very well and very maturely at that. So thanks again, Mark. We'll do this again and have yourself a wonderful Easter weekend. Gary and Suzanne, thank you so much. Have a beautiful weekend yourselves as well. Enjoy your, your beautiful work too. Thank you. Thank you. And join Gary Mance at one o'clock for American Road Trip Talk. We're going to be talking about the Tulip Festival. Have a great weekend. Happy Easter, everyone.